Hello and welcome to The Bravest Kind, a podcast featuring behind-the-scenes stories of fearless individuals demonstrating bravery and kindness in their everyday lives. I'm your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I'm a firefighter and EMT with the Kirkland Fire Department located just outside of Seattle, Washington. I'm thrilled with the opportunity today to speak to John Barry Smith and Amy Tung Barry Smith. John and Amy are not only a band duo, having formed Year of the Cobra in 2015, but also happen to be a married couple raising two young school-aged children. I spoke to Amy and John about life on the road as touring musicians while also raising two kids, how their creative process works, and the importance of following one's passion, especially when impressionable minds are watching. We also learn of Amy's fear of spiders, and I can now explain with confidence what an EP is in the recording world. So I feel as though my street cred has improved after this interview. For those with an ear for heavy doom music, be sure and check out Year of the Cobra. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. I have with me today, John Barry Smith and Amy Tung Barry Smith. First and foremost, thank you both for joining me. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, really excited. All right, so I'm going to jump right into it. The two of you are a duo in multiple ways. Not only have you formed a band together, which is named Year of the Cobra, but you also happen to be a married couple. Which came first, the marriage or the formation of Year of the Cobra? Uh, Marriage. Yeah, Yeah, marriage did. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, Now, you're both longtime musicians, yes? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So how did that come about? I'm assuming you've both played in other bands. You got married. How was it decided? Did one of you broach the subject first? How did, how did that formation of a band come about? Um, It's pretty natural, you know, but we met on Halloween in like 2007 at a show. His band was playing my band was playing. And then we just kind of started hanging out after that. Um, for a short period of time, the drummer of my band had to leave the band. <laughs> he got arrested. Yeah, he, arrested. <laughs> he was in prison for a short period of time. He's a very good guy. But well, just made some every self-respecting musician should have some kind of crazy story. <laughs> so John filled in. So that was the first time we had actually played together. Yeah. Right. Filled in. And then we didn't really start the band. I mean, we discussed playing together all the time, but we didn't really start the band until we moved to Seattle. Um, and we didn't really know anybody. So we would go like for special occasions, like on Valentine's day or for our birthdays, we'd go rent a studio to go play music. (laughs) (laughs) And then we just started writing some songs and then it just kind of went from there. And now the band, just for our listeners, uh, it's just the two of you, correct? And Amy, you're bassist and vocals and John, you're the drummer. Yep. Correct on that. Yes. And was that always the plan as far as a two-member band? Was there ever talk of, of adding more into there? How did you decide upon uh, just being a duo? Yeah, we had every intention of adding a guitar player. Um, but once we started kind of writing songs and the challenge of being a two-piece was mm-hmm. just super fun. And the songwriting process was really easy. So once we kind of started rolling, we are like, well, if we add a third member, <laughs> that's going to kind of could throw you know, a chink in the system. So we're just like, let's keep it a duo. Right. Yeah. If it ain't broken, uh, don't fix it, huh? Yeah. Do one of you take more of the lead than the other on songwriting or how do you go about that process? We both, we both write the songs together, really. You know, I might come up with some sort of riff and then we kind of um, play it out together or John will come up with something and we both write it together. Really. That's what it comes down to. Yep. Yeah. I'm always curious about this with musicians in general. 
do you typically write the riff, the music part first, and then create the lyrics for it or vice versa? I would say about like 90% of our songs, um, it's the music first and then the lyrics afterwards. Yep. Actually, all of it, except for one song. One song, John wrote lyrics. And then I wrote the music to it. Yeah, okay. But it's it's different for all different people. I've been in bands where it always came with the, the melody, like, you know, the melody first, and then you write the, the music to it. So it just depends on the songwriter. For our listeners that aren't familiar with Year of the Cobra, describe your sound, your sound and style. Oh, man. Uh, it's heavy. You know, fans mm-hmm. of uh, like Black Sabbath and the Melvins would, would dig our band. Um, okay. But because we don't have a guitar player, uh, it does have a different element to it. Um, definitely can be dark you know and emotional um but i guess just just heavy you know yeah Yeah. has that always been what you two have been drawn to not necessarily both of us kind of grew up as you know really into punk rock Uh and um and just kind of you know the funny thing is the majority of the people that are in this scene of music that we're in like this Mm -hmm. heavy most of them have a pretty punk rock background i think what happened was they just grew up and everything slowed down yeah right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know i still like heavy aggressive music but you know you don't want to play 100 miles an hour anymore right exactly. every now and then you know some of our songs will, will, will bust in like you know mm-hmm. a little punk rock you know fast uh-huh. <laughs> yep. kind of keep it you know i don't know make you feel alive a little bit so <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well now amy you're a, a classically trained pianist correct yes yeah when did you move from that into playing the bass and really making that transition? Um, I, you know, when I was younger, I I still love classical. It's probably still my favorite style of music to play. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was younger, I really wanted to go to college and study just classical music and, um, you know, focus on conducting and composing and stuff like that. Um, But then when I got into high school, a lot of my friends were in bands and um, they asked me to join and I just didn't know what to do because I had only played classically and I'd only read Mm -hmm. music. I didn't know how to improvise. So I ended up going to college and I studied jazz, something completely different to kind of get my head out of it, um, out of Mm -hmm. the classical music thing. And then um, just living in Los Angeles, my landlord um, was a musician and he owned a studio and he was in a band. And they needed a guitar player. So they said, oh, Amy, you, why don't you play? I know you can do it. Gave me a guitar, gave me the, you know, CD. I mm-hmm. learned the song. And then from there, the majority of bands need bass players. You know, guitar players are a dime a dozen. So it was kind of like a pretty natural switch to, to bass. Yeah. And then, John, how about you with drums? Has drums always been your instrument? Uh, yeah, that was my first instrument. Um, I started kind of in elementary school doing the school band thing. Um, and then probably got my first drum set. I was about 13 or 14 years old. Um, and pretty much self-taught except for doing school bands. You know, I did like jazz okay. band in high mm-hmm. and high school. But uh, essentially, I would find records that I loved. And I would, you know, back then it was a CD. So I'd put in my CD player and put on headphones and make sure the CD player was in a spot so the CD didn't skip, you know? <laughs> right, right. Oh, I know. Well, yes. Road, trip, road trips with a CD player. You just had to find that <laughs> sweet spot. Yeah. Uh, so I would just play along to my favorite records and that's kind of was self-taught that way. Right on, man. Good. Yeah. All right. My parents ran a Montessori school together for probably a good, sheesh, 40 years maybe. And so I saw them in 
business together while also being married. I'm curious, uh, the two of you being a married couple and also touring musicians, what are some of the challenges uh, being married while also being bandmates? Uh, you know, I don't find too many challenges. Yeah. We, we tend to get along really, really well. Yeah. And we don't, uh, like when, when we're in band mode and we're on tour, you know, we both have our jobs and we know clearly what we're supposed to do. And we both get it done mm-hmm. without having to talk to the other person about getting it done. You know what I mean? Like, I know that he's going to get what he needs to get done, done. He knows that I'm going to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. So it kind of runs very smoothly that way. Yeah. It's, it's been the easiest band I've ever been in. I've yeah. been and touring bands since I was in my twenties, you know? Okay. Uh, and this one is by far easier. It's, you know, it's only the two of us. We already like each other. We're obviously married. <laughs> yeah. you know, so. And we get along. We're friends, yeah, totally. you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not to say that we don't get into arguments, but they're never, they're never major arguments, Mm-mm. you know? And we, yeah. you know, we sit in the van together. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then when we're on tour, we just become friends, you know, we're just yeah. like two friends hanging out and, Drinking beers and playing music and staying up late and like, yeah. you know, getting yes. into nonsense yeah. <laughs> together and then and then we come home and suddenly we you know put our parent hats on. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> I mean doubt. I guess the hardest part of it all is figuring out the home schedule when yeah. we're gone. You know, it's because we do have kids and that's sure. stressful. That, that's that's the most stressful and the hardest part of it all. Right. Uh, everything else is pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about we'll talk about that here in just a moment and the the parenting aspect of it. Uh, what are some of the bigger rewards, maybe unexpected rewards, of this lifestyle, being in a band, touring while being parents, while being married? Anything that you didn't foresee that you're really like, oh man, this is this is so cool. This is so special. Well, th- this band's kind of unique in the sense when we started it, we had zero aspirations of making it a, a touring band we okay. were just like oh, we'll play around seattle a couple times a year it'll be a great way to meet new people in this new city we just moved to um and then it just kind of took on a life of its own and people really liked the songs we kept getting offers to, to tour and play these festivals and um just kind of snowballed in a sense so you know the reward is we get to you know go to places like europe and go to countries that we've never thought of going to before like slovenia and mm-hmm. um i would say that's the reward you know playing big festivals with cool bands yeah meeting a lot of really cool people yeah it's amazing. No, no, i can imagine no that's i mean just such a such a cool and unique experience and especially at this point in our lives i mean talking to you as someone that also has children i, I think that's what i really admire and respect about the two of you i feel like so many people maybe do these kind of things in their 20s or early 30s and while they're still single and then if you are someone that wants to settle down and have a family unit, oftentimes you set aside some of your own own dreams and interests and passions. And so the fact that the two of you are still out there living that is really inspiring. So kudos to the two of you for making it work. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. you. It's you know, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. And you know, it's 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 who we are. It's mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like I said earlier, it's I've been playing in bands. So I was you know in high school and Amy music since she was a little, little girl. So yep. it's just embedded in us and kind of who we are. You but know? We're just lucky that we can do it together. Yeah. I feel like that, that is the true blessing, yeah. you know, that we get to experience this together. What prompted the move up to Seattle? You said you were both down in LA, came up here, not really known anybody. Why'd you decide to make that move to begin with? We had our daughter, <laughs> we had our daughter and we didn't want to raise her in Los Angeles. We just didn't see that as a place for her to be able to grow up and, you know, 
I don't know. We just didn't want her to have those memories of LA being her like childhood. Mm -hmm. I mean, we lived lived in in Venice. You know, we live in a great part of uh, Los Angeles, and we were five blocks from the beach, and it was amazing when we lived there before we had kids. But um, yeah, we just wanted to have kind of a better, just give them kind of a better life. And we had both toured through Seattle separately in separate bands, and both really liked it. And it's you know we were kind of raised in the Bay Area. And um, we wanted to find something that was similar to the Bay Area, but not mm-hmm. go back to the Bay Area. And Seattle's like a small San Francisco. It has a good music scene. Yeah. It was affordable at the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Once upon a time, it was. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, I mean, it was really one of the best decisions that we made, I think. Absolutely. Like, we really believe that if we had this band in Los Angeles, it probably wouldn't have done as well. Why do you think that? Just the connotation of being an L.A. band. Uh, and... You know, there are bands in our style from Southern California, but I, they're, I don't know how to say this. It, it's a little, they seem a little cliche. Like it seems, mm. but it seems like it's from Los Angeles. And I think people, you know, notice a band's from Los Angeles, they put that kind of tag on it. Where Seattle, right. it's, and something about the weather, I think, also yeah. helps write some more darker music. <laughs> and the Pacific Northwest altogether, like Portland and Seattle, have a, a really good music scene in this genre. And there's also a lot of like bloggers and stuff that, which is how this is, that's how our band initially first started getting noticed was by a blogger in Portland. He's not in Portland, where is uh, he? Eugene. In Eugene, Don't that Eugene. found like our demo and, you know, posted it and had all these people oh, right follow on. it. And that's where it snowballed after that. But, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I, we just don't think that it would have happened the same if, had we been in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, I get that. You know, I was down in LA for about four years and I'm from Southern Oregon, but I think had a draw to come back here to the Northwest and went to college in Portland. And so I totally understand that. Cause I think I was getting to the point. I wasn't in a relationship at the time, met my wife, Bonnie here in Seattle, but I think I always knew that, yeah, being in LA wasn't necessarily where I wanted to put down roots and raise right. a family. So I totally get that. And like you said, Seattle yeah. just offers so much between yeah. city life and outdoor life and, and mm-hmm. everything else that comes with it. So let's talk a little bit about uh, parenting as it's come up a couple of times here. So you have two children, you have Cooper yeah. and Zeke and what fifth and fifth and third. That's right. yep. Okay. Fifth and third grade. So Cooper's in fifth, uh, Zeke's in third. How has being in a band together, not just musicians, because as you said, you've been musicians your whole life, but specifically since forming a band and having all these opportunities that that has afforded you, you've talked about being able to go and tour in Europe. How has that shaped your parenting style? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Has it? I mean, yeah. Is that cha- I mean, do you think you would be, if you were just, if, if you weren't doing that, let's say you were still dabbling in music, but doing it more as a hobby, do you think you would be parenting yeah. any differently than you than you I know do. it I know it makes us cherish our time more with mm-hmm. our kids and we're back especially when we do long tours which mm-hmm. are which are hard it's hard yeah. on them it's on us um so coming home it's just like it's just so good to see them and we always try and do like a family trip right after we get back from tour just the four of us just to kind of hunker down and get back to just being a family so you know I guess when you're parents and you're always around your kids, you, you kind of don't miss them as much as we miss them when we're out on the road. Oh, it was eventually to take them with us on tours. And we, we've taken them. We haven't taken them to Europe, but they've done some U.S. and a little bit of Canada with us. Yeah, that would be pretty special to be able to yeah. roll around with your parents yeah. on a tour. I mean, what a, what a cool experience that would be. 
we had just kind of figured it out before COVID hit. Um, funny story, actually, Amy's old uh, landlord, his daughter is like 24, 25. Um, she had agreed to be a tour nanny with us. So we brought the kids and her on our last tour. This was February of 2020, right before everything kind of blew up yep. and shut down. And it worked out beautifully. And like, we like looked at mm. each other, like we finally have figured this out. The yeah. kids can come with us. Um, this is going to be awesome. Let's go. And then, oh. Boom. And then well, hopefully <laughs> yeah. that time will still exist. Yeah. 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 It, it, it will. You know, John, it's interesting. You say that about cherishing that time with your children from being gone. And as you said, when you're maybe around them day in and day out, not that you take stuff for granted, but it's easier to probably get caught up in the, minutia of day-to-day life and chores and errands and things like that. And that's one thing I've really noticed with my job being a firefighter doing shift work and I do 48 hour shifts and Mm -hmm. same, I, I really find when I get home, obviously being gone two days is much different than being gone two months or however long the two of you are sometimes gone on tour, but it does allow me to recalibrate a little bit better and put things into perspective and just be okay. I'm, I'm wholly here right now with my kids and my family after having been gone for 48 hours. So I, I I totally understand that there's, there's a lot of power to that. So what do you think that your kids have learned from having parents in our band together? (laughs) And what do you think that they'll take with them? How how, how do you think uh, this will impact them or, or how do you hope it will impact them as they grow into teens and beyond into adulthood? You know, I think if anything, our goal is, you know, to show them like if you're passionate about something, do it and you can find a way to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, we're unique in the sense it's like, yes, we have this passion and this business as a band, but we also make being in a family work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no limits to what you can do, really. Yeah. And, and just giving them the gift of music They're, You know, Cooper's a phenomenal musician. She plays guitar, bass, piano, drums, you know. Zeke is a great piano player. So, you know, that in itself, I, I think is awesome. Yeah. And they see us, they see us working hard. I and mean, it's a lot of work, the band, you I know, between, um, you know, the managerial side that John kind of takes care of the majority of, you know, and then the merch side, the business mm-hmm. side, the mm-hmm. music side, the writing, you know what I mean? There's, it's a ton of work and they, they see us working together and working hard together. And, you know, I don't know. I hope they, I hope they learn just by watching us, like how hard life is. No, no well, I mean, I think, well, I think that is important. The, the value of hard work, but then also yeah. the importance of that. And especially when you really do want something, it's easy to wish for something, mm-hmm. but it's another to actually make it happen right. and turn it yeah. into reality. And like you said, I mean, to be able to see that, that it, that it doesn't always come easy, but there's a ton of value in that. So what does a normal evening at the Barry Smith household look like here with your involvement in music and running the biz, your kids are both very involved in music. I mean, do you have like family of four jam sessions or what? Not as often as we should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I try and get Cooper out to play drums, but it's very sporadic. You know, mm-hmm. we've got this out in the back of our house, um, but it's something I think we should try and do more often. because It's super fun when we do it. Mm-hmm. And she's been writing her own, her own songs lately, which is really cute. But I mean, usually, you know, on a, normally we rehearse every Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so okay. our weeks are really, they're very, very long. You know, John goes to work during the day I work and then we rush home, you know, 
feed the kids dinner mm-hmm. and then go out and rehearse until midnight. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> so where do you pretty, do you rehearse at the house or do you go to a studio? We have a studio. Yeah. Yeah. It's not far, but with the bridge being out, it's far. Yeah, everything's far with the bridge out. Holy cow. For those listening that are not from West Seattle, yeah, we're myself and Amy and John all live in West Seattle. So our lifeline from the city has been cut off. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a little brutal. But, um, you know, the late nights, it it gets really exhausting. So then, you know, we have our Tuesdays and Thursday nights are really busy. And then shows on Friday or Saturday or, you know, for getting ready for tours or whatever. It's 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 very busy. Now, have things opened up again? Have you been able to play live at any point no. since the pandemic started? No, our last show was March 7th of 2020. Yeah, yeah. but you know, that's the, the problem right now, though, is things are kind of opening up. Right. And, you know, we're considering doing a really short tour in August, but we're really torn about whether we should do a tour, whether it's safe, whether it's right. smart. You know, even though the venues are open, you know, is it a good idea? I, I don't know. You know, I'm really on the fence about whether we should go or that we shouldn't go. And it's yeah. only, you know, right now we're only trying to do a very short tour, like three, four days. But still, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's conflicting. It's like, are we being irresponsible by right. playing these shows and getting a bunch of people in one room to see us play? Indoors. Indoors. You know? Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, that's a responsibility, sure. you know? So that's what we're, that's, that's what we're conflicted with right now. That's what we're discussing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's across the board as things start opening up a bit and, and vaccinations yeah. become more readily available. Yeah. There's this, it's kind of like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still in it. Yeah. And so, right. yeah. And you see other places, you know, New York has had some big shows, you know, some festivals in Europe are still happening that we were, mm-hmm. we're supposed to play one in Poland. But I think we pushed it to next year. Yeah. Um, so it's still, you know, it, we just, we don't really know what's right yet. Yeah. We saw some photos online of the show Amy was talking about in New York and it was outside. It was in a park, but there's 2000 people and like, I kind of zoomed in on the crowd mm-hmm. and like five out of those 2000 people were wearing masks. Yeah. And they're yeah, not, I mean, they're all squished up together. All squished up yeah. together. Yeah. And it's like, huh, interesting. Yeah. I know it's almost, you know, I think living where we live in Seattle, which is taking lockdown measures very seriously. And I think people for the most part willing to wear masks and adhere to social distancing protocols. It, it is, it, it just puts you off kilter a little bit when you yeah. see that. I think I was seeing, uh, was it the Texas Rangers maybe on opening day for baseball? They had a full, full stadium and yeah. it was like a sellout crowd of what, 45, 50,000 people. And that's just, yeah. just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Coming from right. Seattle, it's so hard to wrap your head around that. Yeah, really, like really shell shock, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, so. that's wild. So you talked about Tuesday and Thursdays being rehearsal night and out till midnight and just that hard work and the value of it. Yeah, how do you manage all that? How do you find the time and space? Because I know your kids are active and in other activities, and I know I know Zeke's a big baseball player as well as being a musician. And I think, I don't know if Cooper's still into dance or ballet, but I know she was. How do you manage all of the logistics of that while also running a family unit together? It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a lot of, a lot of scheduling. I yeah. mean, specific scheduling. I have a calendar on the, on the refrigerator <laughs> just so everybody knows. Cause I have it all in my head, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, I injured myself snowboarding, so we haven't been rehearsing lately, but on a normal week, I mean, Monday through Friday, we don't have one spare second of downtime. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
get home from work. We're rushing Cooper, Zeke off the baseball or ballet, then back and forth. And we're quickly putting together dinner and maybe we all get to sit down and eat together. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't. It's just mm-hmm. like yeah. food and it's, kids' mouths. One of my goals though is to try to have as many sit down dinners together as possible. <laughs> you know, so then we're not like just, you know, one person running in, one person running out. Well, I was just curious growing up, the two of you, I, I don't know a whole lot about either of your backgrounds. Although, Amy, I guess I did just learn that you spent a good portion of your childhood in Memphis, which is where my <laughs> wife Bonnie's from. That was that just came about yesterday. I was doing some research on the two of you and looking at some other interviews you've done, and I saw that. And I go to Bonnie, I was like, did you know that Amy lived in Memphis for like eight <laughs> years of her childhood? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so kind of crazy. Uh, but, it, it, you know, you talk about the family dinners, because my family was both, as I said, both my parents were teachers, and so they, they were often on the exact same schedule. Mm-hmm. as as kids and my dad would do a lot of the coaching of, of my sports teams as a kid but i remember eating s- almost every family dinner together as a child myself now as a parent yeah it's such a rare moment night it's a little sad i mean like, i think between my shift work and then again both our kids like both of yours are involved in a lot of activities and so so many times it's like okay well i'm taking van here and bonnie and poppy will be at home together or or vice versa, it's Poppy's turn to have something going on, and maybe Van and I will be home together, or however it works out. And it's such a rare moment for the four of us to be home, especially on a weekday of just yeah. sitting yep. and sharing that. I don't know if part of that's just life in the 21st century or, or what. Yeah, I don't know. I think yeah. it's just having forcing yourselves to carve some time out for things like that. I mean, Unfortunately, because they have activities and they're pretty late, we, our dinner time is like 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most nights, mm-hmm. you know, but luckily they're older, older now. So, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't affect their sleep too much or, you know, their school habits or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like it is it is very important to me to try to make that happen. So, you know, if as soon as everybody gets home, at least we can try to all eat together and then split up again <laughs> for a small moment. I know, John, you just mentioned that you injured yourself snowboarding. Um, how are you doing, by the way? I know that laid you up for quite a while. Oh, uh, yeah. I banged myself up pretty good. Uh, I'm doing a lot better. I've uh, actually been able to start running again. Um, okay. I broke some ribs and my clavicle and collapsed mm. the lung. So it was, it was uh, pretty severe, but uh, yeah. I'm doing a lot better. Doing a lot better. Okay. Well, yeah, again, I, and I know you guys get up to the mountain a lot as a family. Are, are weekends time that you typically set aside? I mean, do you, do you have days where you just leave music aside and don't talk about it and don't think about it or just there, or is it always, is it always going? Um, you know, you know, before COVID, I mean, it, it was always going cause there's always decisions that needed to be made. Like, Oh, are we going to do this tour? Are we going to play this show? Um, so we would talk about those things say on the way up to the mountain. Um, but we did try and shut it off when we were up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but COVID was almost kind of a blessing in disguise for us. We needed that break and, you know, neither one of us were willing to kind of put the break on the band, but we, we kind of needed just be like, let's put that aside for a second and let's just be a family and get back to some normalcy a little bit. Um, so, I mean, we were up at the mountains every weekend. Yeah. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I I do think there have been some nice things that have come mm-hmm. from the pandemic, as you said. I, I think it has forced people to reevaluate certain mm-hmm. things and, to, and and a forced slowdown. Yes, yeah. I was in fact the last a couple podcasts ago that I did, uh, I got into with the person I was talking to strengths and weaknesses of being 
apparent. And I mm-hmm. said, one of my weaknesses is that I, I push too much. I push too hard. I think I, I think I expect too much uh, out of both my kids. And I need to revisit back to that because I remember at the beginning, it was nice not having stuff going on every second of every day. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is so, this feels so good. Mm-hmm. Just kind of being at home and present and enjoying one another's companies and going for more walks and hanging out oh, in the front yard more. Unfortunately, I've kind of, now that things are opening back up, I find myself slipping back into that typical mindset of go, go, go. But yes, I do think that has created some of those opportunities, I think, for families to hit the reset button. I get that. Before before it all hit, the kids would be sad when we have to go to rehearsal or they'd Mm -hmm. be sad at the leaf tour. And now they're going, are you guys leaving tonight? (laughs) 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 Out of our hair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's probably only going to get more so as they get older. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't tonight rehearsal night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that actually takes us right in a little bit into the next question I was going to ask, and that is how has the pandemic affected some of your creative pursuits? Um, you know, it was interesting. When the kind of lockdown happened, you know, immediately I was like, oh, well, let's just get creative. Let's stack a bunch of songs, mm-hmm. have a new record ready to go. We'll go record it. And when the pandemic's over, we'll release it and we can tour and be on the road again um but man like we weren't inspired to write at all mm-hmm. at least i wasn't and, and mm-hmm. i forced myself a lot to try and write and what was coming out just in my opinion wasn't good and i kind of just shelved uh it for a while um kind of started writing again a few months back but it was weird i think it was just the heaviness of what was going on mm-hmm. just kind of shut down some creative Flow for me. That's interesting because I felt like well, as soon as everything shut down, because we actually did release some songs uh, on some compilations, mm-hmm. and then I released a solo song for like a, another compilation for women. Um, and I started writing because I used to write music. I worked for a commercial music house for a short period of time, and I would write music all on my computer for a while. And then with this band, I didn't do that. I would just write little riffs and record it on you know, and we we just kind of play it together the studio. So when the pandemic hit, we stopped going to the rehearsal studio. So I started writing on the computer again. Mm-hmm. And um, I was writing a lot more stuff with keyboards. And, you know, one of the songs, like I actually had guitar on it that I played. And um, that I thought was really cool because I felt like I was starting to write something different. And um, I was getting inspired to write a lot of, I don't know, you know, because I wanted to do that whole horror movie thing, mm-hmm. which I haven't had the time to do yet. But it, I felt like it kind of opened up the, I don't know, my idea of what year the Cobra could be. So now, you know, before we were always like, you know, we're just going to be drum and, and bass, even though we did start, we started to add a little bit of keyboards to the live show. And then, you know, we also were totally against playing to, you know, like flying in certain tracks and stuff. And I think that we're kind of more open to maybe like having a bigger sound of, you know, stuff that we write with like maybe guitar tracks or maybe more keyboard tracks and actually flying it in and, you know, having the sound become bigger. So we just haven't gone into the studio to play around with that kind of idea yet, mm-hmm. but it's something that we've been talking about and which will com- not completely change the way we sound, but we'll make it a lot fuller. And, you know, it is limiting being a two piece with just bass and, and, and drums, you know, and we don't want every single album to sound exactly the same. So it's yeah. kind of, it's like almost a kind of a normal progression to start adding in some other stuff. You know, and then being able to recreate, I mean, recording all of the music is easy. You know, you can add in a whole ton of stuff. It's just playing it live with two yeah, people, sure. the hard part, you know, cause we only have, he, he can't play, you know, other than drums, you, you know, and I only have two hands. So 
Um, so it's, you know, kind of being creative and of how we you know, produce all of those sounds or I guess reproduce all of those sounds. But that least, you know, it did open up that door for us when we started, mm-hmm. you know, when this happened, we were like, oh, maybe we should do this and maybe we could do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, again, not being in tour mode and being go, go, go all the time kind of mm-hmm. pulled us back a little bit and like, oh, yeah, like, why can't we do that? Yeah, yeah. right. How many albums have you recorded? Uh, two full lengths and, and two EPs. Can you describe the difference to me in EP? I always get confused on this. Even when I'm listening to like the Grammys, so we get like record of the year, album of the year, song of the year. Yeah. <laughs> for, for a layman like myself. I mean, I know what an album is, but an EP. Describe EP, that. It's just like a short album. It's, I think, what's the criteria? I think it's five songs or less, and it has to be less than 35 minutes in total length. Got it. Um, and so bands will use an EP like sometimes in between their albums just to kind of keep releasing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last EP we did, it was after our first album and we kind of just hit this really great creative flow and like had this really cool batch of songs that we wanted to get out there. And so release that EP and that kind of allows you to keep touring, you know, cause most promoters want you on a kind of an album tour or promoting something to kind of bring more people to the shows. So just a way to get more music out there and being able to stay mm-hmm. off road essentially. Yeah, see, now I know. Now, now I know. That was actually a, that was a good explanation. I feel like I could now go tell somebody the difference between an album and an EP. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are your full length albums? Do they typically have a theme to them? Each song kind of plays off another and tells us overarching type of theme, or, or or no? Is that not something that you think about when you're putting songs together to create an album? No. But we do think about the overall scope of the album. Like, yeah. how does it flow? Does it maybe need some kind of more up-tempo, like aggressive song right. in the middle? Or right. need to oh, yeah. do quite the opposite. Well, it's, an, it's an interesting thing because the majority of our music is released on vinyl. Right? Vinyl is making okay, this Okay, is that right? Album. And uh, when you write for vinyl, um, or at least when you're putting your songs together for vinyl, because there are some limitations, right? Each side can only do like 22 minutes, maybe 25 yeah. minutes. Um, so you, that you're, you're limited to like 45 minutes of music. Um, and then also the, the songs that are at like, like, you know, the very last song. So they say it's like four songs, right? And the very last song, you know, you know, the, the sound from the vinyl is going to, it's going to sound different. So you have to, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose what you're going to, what's going to be there. Cause it's, you know, this record is spinning, you know, it's a smaller circle. So there's a lot of weird thinking that happens when you're putting something together for vinyl because it's different than say if you're putting together something for a CD where you have like you know you start with one song and you have this one kind of you know overall like, yeah you know yeah. so then you know so then the side B you have to think okay what's going to be the first one what's going to be the last one how's it going to fit and then you know are, are, are my songs going to go over the 22 minutes yeah <laughs> it's really it's a, it's interesting how you have to think about it. You know, that's a trip. I, di- I didn't realize that, A, that that was your main format, recording for vinyl, and then that makes mm-hmm. complete sense. Like you said, you're, yeah, you're, you're limited to an amount of space. Mm-hmm. Is the recording process itself different? No. No. Okay. No, no. Uh-uh. The, the only issue now with vinyl, and especially with COVID, is that um, after everybody kind of got out of vinyl and got into tapes and CDs, the majority of the vinyl processing plants, you know, closed. Mm-hmm. So then there were only like two in the whole world. And then suddenly there's this huge resurgence of vinyl. 
And so now there's like, you know, a good three, four month wait. And then because of COVID and everything shut down, I think there's now a six or seven month wait <laughs> for final oh, processing and be able to process and, you know, create your records. <laughs> it's so crazy. So you'll write an album in say March, you know, and it won't come out until like December. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're just waiting for the process to be able to create your vinyl. Right. So that's, that's where you just go and put an EP together. Right. Yeah. In you the, know, in, yeah. in the interim there. <laughs> it's, it's always weird. Exactly. Because, you know, whether it's the processing plant or your label setting aside a certain amount of time to market it properly, by the time that album comes out, those songs are always like so, so old. old. We're like, oh, mm-hmm. now I got to go tour on that record. I got to play it now. <laughs> yes. Right. That's yeah. wild. How did that song go again? <laughs> yeah. But only old to you guys. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, I mean, to the audience, fun. they don't it's know any different. Having to relearn your song. Like, oh, right. Yeah, right. Do it again. And then we're yeah, like, yeah, do, you yeah. have, is it, do you have it on Spotify? <laughs> or do you have it on your phone? Have you ever just frozen up while playing? I mean, have you ever just straight up forgotten? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. I forget what the next lyrics are. Oh, well, I mean, I guess lyrically, yeah, sometimes you just start making stuff up. Yeah, you just kind of you just kind of roll with it, whatever. But usually it's only for new songs that I'm not used to singing. Yeah. Because you know? what I'm playing, I have a lot of things going on between pedals and sometimes keyboard and playing and, you know, singing. So it gets complicated. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then the hard part, because it's the two of us when we play really big festivals, you know, and it's a really, really large stage and John can't move anywhere. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just me standing there yeah. and I'll run yeah. <laughs> like back and forth across the stage. <laughs> but then I got to get back to the microphone and push the pedals and <laughs> run again. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty funny on those big stages. And Amy's just like the one person on stage. She's kind of running back just and running forth. Running back and trying, forth. Trying to fill right, the stage. Right. <laughs> It's pretty silly. I love it. I mean, I imagine a pretty big rush. Yes, to be on stage performing. I mean, anytime I'm seeing a musician just in their element up there, I'm almost like envious. You know, it's just so cool when you see someone performing live and you can just see they're in that moment and feeling it. Can you even describe that feeling? You know, all I feel is focused, Mm. just hyper focus. Yeah. You know, we've practiced yeah. our sets, we know, and we, you know, we have it, everything down, you know, we don't leave anything to chance. We're not one of those bands that's just like, oh, whatever, we'll just play this. You know, we have it, the whole thing set. It's tight. And um, anytime when we play, you know, say Europe, it, you know, and it's always toured around, um, we're always there for around like a, a one or two big festivals. So we always have like warm up shows at smaller venues to kind of just, you know, make sure that our set sounds good and, you know, we can tweak it before the shows, but by the time we get to any sort of major festival, um, you know, it, everything is tight. We know exactly what we need to do. You know, there are mm-hmm. lots of cues that are just physical. Like it's just me looking at John and I know exactly what he's going to do when he's going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just, you know, we're really focused. And for us, like having that kind of rehearsed set allows you to kind of be a little more loose and have fun Yeah. when mm-hmm. you know, you're playing new songs or, you know, you've, tweaking something it's nerve-wracking because you don't want to make a mistake yeah and so, it, and you know, only the two of us it's really you know if, we make a mistake, yeah, there's, <laughs> if one of us mess up you, there's you no know, hiding there's no hiding it mm-hmm. do you do much interaction in between songs are you type of band that talks to the audience i feel like you know sometimes I go to concerts and there's all kinds of banter between that and then others it's going from you know one song to the other what, what's your guys uh, style up there 
I don't, I don't like talking to the audience. Yeah, Amy doesn't like. Um, so I don't. <laughs> and with oh. our kind of punk rock background, like a lot of punk bands, I mean, it's boom, 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 boom. You know, they'll play like four or five songs a row without stopping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of do that same thing. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there might be one point in the set where Amy's got to actually stop to tune or something and, and say something and, and say something. Thank people, thank the bands, thank the venue, whatever, yeah. you know, but, but generally, no, I don't like to talk. All right. That's fair. <laughs> I was just curious. He's much better at it. He won't do it. <laughs> he says nobody wants to hear what the joke has to say. <laughs> Maybe that's true. <laughs> I don't think so. I disagree. That's like the, that, that's who I want to hear from. I, I agree. <laughs> so I think that they would love to hear from you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The drummer's like the quarterback back there. Yeah. The rhythm going, keep the beat going. Uh, so what's on the horizon for you guys? I know well, we talked a little bit about, you know, maybe some festivals coming up, some opportunities, but you're not sure if that's safe or responsible. Yeah. If you were to look into the crystal ball, into the rest of 2021 and into 2022. Getting what can, John what healthy. can fans expect to see? Yeah, getting John healthy and focusing on writing, just yeah. writing. You know, I, like, think I think, yeah. If we could have a new record written, you know, not necessarily recorded, but written by the end of the year, uh, I would mm-hmm. think that would be very productive of us and put right. us in a good spot. Yeah. Um, you know, we may or may not do those shows. We'll just kind of see how things pan out. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just getting me back behind the drum set, healed up, and writing a new record. Good. I want each of you to answer these. We'll alternate turns, okay? Okay. These are going to be our parting shots. I want you just to fire off the first thing that pops into your head. So, Amy, I'll start with you with this first question. Band or solo artist that has had the biggest impact on your own career? Band or uh, Caius, I think. That band is... The funny thing is, when, when I was listening to punk rock, and then my friend introduced me to Caius, which is kind of like the grandfather of this style of music. I feel like they were about, what, in the 90s? Mm-hmm. And I didn't like them. And I was like, oh, what is it? It's too slow. And it's that, it's that, you know? And I was like, I'm really into punk rock. You know, it's going to be faster and a bit hardcore. Yeah. Now I love it, you know? And it's really, it's been very inspiring. So for, for this band and for me, you know, in this genre of music, it was, it was bias. John, how about you? Uh, I would say Black Sabbath. Being, mm-hmm. you know, super into punk rock when I was younger too. Um, I worked at this skateboard company called Santa Cruz Skateboards, and they were all older dudes, and they played a lot of heavier music. Caius is one of them, but I remember, you know, I'd heard Black Sabbath and the songs on the radio, but like never really listened to their whole records, and um, that definitely shifted my mind in the sense of thinking outside the box with punk rock. And then I kind of dove into Black Sabbath and opened up a whole new world of heavy metal and other music to me. So, all right, okay. Next question, John, you're going to start first with this one. Favorite song to play live? Oh, uh, depends on the day. Mm. Um, we have this song called The Black Sun, which the drums on it are all over the place. It's super physical, um, but it's, you know, it's just so fun to play. It's, but some, some uh, shows I'm like, oh, do we really have to play that song? I'm kind of tired tonight. Yeah. <laughs> We always pull through, but yeah, that's probably one of my favorite songs to play. Um, let's see. Amy? Uh, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I, I really like playing the Battle of White Mountain. It's just really, it's slow, it's long, but it has this really interesting story that I like, and I think it's really pretty. I like the melody. Um, I just like the way we do it overall. I think it's very atmospheric. People, you know, can sway to it. All right, Amy. 
You're up next. A non-living thing you cannot live without. A non-living thing I cannot live without. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my records. Okay. <laughs> you know, it was always, you know, if, if there was like a, a deserted island, what would I want? I would want my, my records and books, you know, but records more because... I don't know. Music is more important to me than books. Although I love books, you know, I really, really like to read, but music, you know, brings me on a journey, like a real journey. I feel like I heard one of the better answers to that question not long ago of if you could bring one thing with you to a deserted island, what would it be? And the response was a boat. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's the first time I'd ever heard somebody say that. And it was good. I was like, yeah, that that makes sense. A boat. (laughs) All right, John, how about you? A non-living thing you cannot live without? Uh, my drums. Okay. Yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, they've got to be musical-related things for the both yeah. of you, right? Yes, that makes sense. All right, John, next question for you first. You are happiest when? I'm happiest when I'm snowboarding or playing music. Yeah. Yeah. We had a great winter this winter with just so fun. being up on the mountain, just the four of us. Mm. Um, it was pretty magical. So yeah. it was awesome. Do you all board? Is it, is it a family of boarders? Anyone ski or do you all snowboard? Cooper skis. Cooper skis. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Amy? Your happiest win. I, I, I have to say it's the same thing, mm-hmm. like on tour or snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. They're just fun. Okay. Amy, you have to do something you're scared to do. What's your process of quieting that fear and proceeding anyways? Oh my God. Um, I do a lot of things that I'm afraid of doing all the time. For example, <laughs> I umped. Oh, did you? <laughs> at my sense several, several games. <laughs> and I was very afraid of doing it. But, yeah. you know, generally I try not to let fear stop me from doing anything. Um, except for one thing, which is killing spiders. I just can't get beyond it. <laughs> um, but for the most part, you know, I realized that fear it's just all in my head and all i have to do is just i just need to do it you know i just talk myself into like everything's gonna be fine and i have to get my head in the game and then i'm and i'm okay and when i'm doing whatever it is that i'm afraid of doing you know as long as i stay focused on it then i won't have to think about the fear that still hasn't applied to spiders but i, I try every single time i see one <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm not as scared i'm not scared i'm gonna be able to do this and i can't completely freeze <laughs> Oh, man. I was driving Poppy somewhere the other day. I don't remember where it was. And all of a sudden she let out the biggest yell, like screech. I mean, just blood curdling fear. And I was like, oh my God, like, I pulled over. It was, it was so just shocking. The sound I was like, honey, what, what is wrong? And that's like, there's a spider. <laughs> I just like, oh my gosh, that reaction. I, I couldn't believe the reaction that apparently seeing a spider in the back of my car elicited out of her. It was, it was something else. Oh. All right, John, how about you? You have to do something you're scared to do. How do you quiet that fear and proceed? Um, you know, I'm, it's kind of easy for me just to kind of jump headfirst into something. I, you know, I'll think about it and I just, I have this switch that I'll flip and be like, I, this is something I have to do. Uh, for example, when I wrecked myself snowboarding, I immediately knew like my bone was about to poke out of my shoulder. And I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, Hey, I just got to get down to the bottom of the mountain. I got to get in the car. Amy's got to drive me to the hospital. It was just, you know, I wasn't I just mm-hmm. like, this is, I got to do it. There's, there's no option B. Right. So yeah, yeah. got to go 
to the end of option A. Yeah, that is something that I think that we have in common, that we're both very calm when it comes to things like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We both know exactly what we need to do, how we need to do it, mm-hmm. and, you know, do it as fast as possible mm-hmm. without, you know, further harm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's probably why touring goes so well, because you know, there are always, you know, unexpected things happening. Totally. And, you know, like... I mean, always. One time we we were on tour and we were driving from Vegas to, I think, Salt Lake City. Was that it? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we ended up having to drive through the night because it's a really long drive. And we drove through this, like mm-hmm. on this freeway through like Nevada. The middle of Nevada. In the middle of, and it, and it was, you know, it was, I don't know, like dawn. And it's just a two lane road. There's nobody out there except for a whole bunch of bunnies. <laughs> And there were bunnies everywhere. Okay. <laughs> and they would across the street. Oh, you know, they all wait. Crazy. Like, outside of the street until you got really close. And then it would just, they'd all just start running. And it was the most harrowing, like, two hours of driving where you're like, I don't want to kill us, but I don't want to kill any bunnies. <laughs> you know? Like, it was horrible. Yeah. The amount of bunnies, it was insane. It, it was, was, like, thousands of thousands of rabbits. It, like, seriously. <laughs> this like weird movie like what the Where, heck is going on yeah like if there's an apocalypse you have to go there because there's you know there will be bunnies to eat <laughs> it was insane the amount of bunnies that yeah. were there. it was well, so stressful you, I, I thought you mentioned earlier about wanting to write a horror movie i, I feel like that could be incorporated somehow oh, oh yeah movie. just yeah. feel the bunnies that you're driving yeah. through in the middle of the night right. <laughs> with no one else in sight <laughs> it was crazy so you know but we didn't kill any bunnies no. and we did not get into any accidents. <laughs> well done. Everyone wins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Final question here. John, I'll start with you. What does being brave mean to you? Being brave. Um, standing up to challenges, you know, taking them head on. I think that's a brave person, you know, not being afraid. Um, I think it kind of goes back to almost the other question of doing something mm-hmm. you're afraid of. It's, mm-hmm. you know, standing up to the challenge. Yeah. I think I think it's doing the right thing. Sometimes doing the right thing is not mm. easy, especially when everybody else mm. is doing something different. Mm. You know, but doing yeah. doing the right thing even if it's against or you know, against the flow, you know. Yep. The grain. That I think that's being brave. I like that. All right. Well, John and Amy, thank you both so much. Continued success uh, to you both, uh, especially with your the cobra. So for our listeners out there, how best to find your music? Yeah, Spotify. All of our albums are on there. Um, you know, all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we're pretty easy to find out there on the, on the interweb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Excellent. Well, everybody go check them out. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate your time today. Brian, appreciate Thank it, you. man. That was fun. Okay. All right. Well, take care. Talk right, soon. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on this episode of The Bravest Kind with your host, Ryan Schaefer. Be sure to check out my website, ryanschaefer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com for more podcast episodes and information happening in my world. Also, don't forget to subscribe to The Bravest Kind podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please take a moment to leave us a rating for the show. We'll be back at it with a new guest next week. Until then, be brave and be kind in your own lives. And before we officially come to the end of this episode, I'd like to leave you with my favorite song by Year of the Cobra, Burn Your Dead.